you know, using the image of the fruits of the Spirit. So what can we expect later in recovery? Well, we would expect that there would be more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and not performing it. You know, many of us that grew up in the church learned how to perform those things, but it wasn't an authentic expression of self. And so it's being in love and peace and patience and kindness um, and then bringing that into the relationships. We are back this week, as we promised, again with Chris and Elizabeth Hardesty and, of course, Dr. Greg Miller. And uh, on our last podcast, we hope that you had the chance to watch and listen to that message. But we promised that we'd come back with Chris and Elizabeth because they have a powerful and kind of bone-chilling story to share with you later in this podcast that you're not going to want to miss. Greg? Okay. So what we set up in the last podcast was basically the question is, you know, what can we expect for life later in recovery? And so we spent the first podcast kind of setting up what the early years look like. And so what is the hope? What are we moving towards? So um, if Elizabeth, a wife, comes to you and says, you know, is it always going to be like this? I think that's a question we hear a lot. Um, What can I expect later on? What might be some of the ways you would respond to her? Hmm. I remember asking that very same question. Um, you know, I think, it, yeah, it's it. What's true is I think this this event. I mean, this journey will forever impact you. But it's also true that it's not the story of of the betrayal in the story of the addiction is not something that is with me every day or that I think about every day. It really is more of the the transformation that has happened through it. You know, in terms of um, knowing myself more, uh, just personal transformation, knowing my partner more, being able to communicate about things. Um, yeah, just kind of this, this focus, this new vision and focus for the future of where, where are we heading? Yeah. You know, one thing, I think in the early days of recovery, it's like there's no connection or the connection that is there is incredibly painful. But later in recovery, there is a new connection that is mm-hmm. um, safer, is more intimate, um, that you're willing to move towards Um, that can be trusted. And so even the dynamic in the coupleship, the way that we relate can begin to change. We feel safer with each other and we can have fun together. We um, can vision together. And so, you know, in the early days, what we talked about last time is this is the focus. But as you've said, what we begin to realize is it's a chapter in the book. It's not the entire book. We're early in recovery. It seems like it's the only chapter in the book. Um, It's part of the truth. It's not all of the truth. Mm -hmm. And so we find this life, even if we're actively in recovery, we find life beyond it. Yeah, I think um, it's this idea that we're for one another Mm -hmm. relationally. I think that so many, last time we talked about what what, uh, what, uh, stalls recovery potentially, and I think this idea, it's that filter, I think, that's sort of built into the process early on that we're somehow against one another. We're not for one another. And I do think that working a, a solid recovery individually and as a couple, that starts to change. And you start to believe, maybe for the first time ever, really, that that person is for you. And I think that creates just this, this, this platform then where you can, now we can work together. Mm-hmm. Now we can 
you know, we're so much, we're, we're so much more uh, effective as a, as a team than, than, ind than individually or, you know, always thinking and, and maybe holding back because we're, what, I, I'm not so sure that she's on, she's on the same team. Mm -hmm. I think part of it, I want to add to that too, is we really believe that so much of this journey is becoming a whole person. Like, you know, it starts individually of really knowing and understanding and loving who you are. And you say it so well, Greg, of this recovery back to, you know, back to yourself, back to who God created you to be. And I think it starts there. And so I think it starts with just this first, just loving and knowing who you are and then seeing a partner who is also doing this journey of knowing and loving who they are. And then having, as you said, kind of this, this trust, this safety, this security to kind of share that with each other. And like I say to the wives, that we want to get to a place where we want to be with this other person, not need to be mm -hmm. with this other person. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, the ways, you know, I often say to men, you know, one of the ways that you can know your recovery is working is that you are more present in your own life. You know, prior to recovery, because of the addiction and coping strategies that we had, we were absent from our own life. We were in some ways observing. We were always holding something back. But later in recovery, you are able to be present with yourself. You're able to be present with others. You're able to be present with God. You know, I grew up in the church, and I kept hearing that invitation to abide, and I had no context of what that meant because for me it was all about doing and performing. Um, but as I did recovery, I could be with myself. I could be with my thoughts. I could be with my emotions. I could be with others. And that truly was one of the best gifts that I've been... It was an unexpected gift. But it was this amazing gift that now, all these years into recovery, I can be with my wife, Beth. I can be with my sons and their significant others. I can be with friends. And the, the greatest gift is now I can be with God. Mm -hmm. I, I can't be with someone else or be with God if I can't be with myself. Mm -hmm. So as you're looking down the road, what can we expect? We can expect, hopefully, to be more present with ourselves and others and with God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Love that. Any other thoughts as far as um, for wives, what, what maybe they can experience within themselves apart from their husband, you know? What does it look like for her to be that wise woman? Hmm. I think, oh, there's so many things. Um, but I feel like a couple main things I think are just, as I said, just really even just knowing, knowing yourself well. Um, knowing who you are, what, what are your feelings, what are your needs, what are your desires, what is your vision, um, what are your woundings, just really understanding. I love what you said about presence, just really being able to be present with yourself. Um, trusting yourself is a big thing. Mm -hmm. I, I know I work with a lot of wives where that's really been shattered. Um, I thought I could trust my, my spouse. I thought I could trust myself. What does it even look like to begin to trust again? Um, so I just really think that, yeah, that wise woman living looks like just knowing who you are, whose you are, what mm -hmm. your worth and value is, and being able to have a voice um, and a presence in that place. Right. Well, and even this idea of having the capacity to have a value, identity, and safety that is not dependent upon somebody else and their reactions and not dependent upon myself, that my identity, my value, my safety come from God. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the things that happens later in recovery is that we're able to understand this earlier version of ourselves, not through the lens of shame, but through the lens of compassion. Yes. You know, to be able to see the chaos that we were creating and the choices that we were making and, and clearly see the way that we were hurting others. 
You know, it's that transition from shame to godly sorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often tell the story that early in my recovery, I, I asked someone, how do I know if it's shame or godly sorrow? And the person just said, you will. Well, I hated that answer, and it was absolutely true. That as I did my work, as I was going to my therapist, as I was really digging into my own chaos and shame, I begin to experience that shift. So one of the things I would say about later recovery is there's less shame, there's more truth, and in that truth, we do experience grief and sorrow for the the ways that we've hurt others. Um, I would also say later in recovery, there's ownership. You know, we talk a lot about ownership here at Faithful and True, and the alternative to ownership is either blame or shame. Mm-hmm. You know, blame says it's all your fault. You're a piece of crap. Shame says it's all my fault. I'm a piece of crap. And neither one of them are the truth of ownership. Right. And, you know, in talking with some guys recently, we we're getting clear about this fact that ownership is just not acknowledgement. A lot of us will acknowledge that we've done something, which is helpful. But ownership is when we move from acknowledgement to a commitment to try to change. Yeah. We're able to say, and these are some things that I'm doing differently. So I would say, you know, one of the ways we can know we're later in the journey of recovery is there's less shame, there's less blame, and there's more ownership, taking responsibility for our own lives. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. And and along the way there, you know, so you can own something. And I like what you said of not going to shame, mm-hmm. being able to have self-compassion at the same time, loving yourself through it, knowing your belovedness through that. And yes, acknowledging and taking ownership. If you have harmed someone else or hurt someone else or done something that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this, this idea of value, the, what is your inherent worth and value? I think that's been a big topic, a theme lately in some of the groups that I've been involved in is this, this idea of, you know, giving and instead of giving and taking, I'm, I, I, I move to a place where I can give and receive. And I'm able to, I think, I think that inability to receive um, love from others or to believe that someone would, would actually want to, want to, you know, bestow something um, towards you um, that's, that's life-giving or, or that's maybe a blessing or an affirmation or something like that. Getting to a place where you believe you're, you're, you're valuable enough mm-hmm. for that, where I can, I think so many men aren't in a posture of receiving, getting them to that receiving place, them getting them, kind of getting themselves to that receiving place is one of the keys here. Mm-hmm. You know, using, you know, the, the image of the fruits of the spirit. So what can we expect later in recovery? Well, we would expect that there would be more love, joy, pay, um, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and not performing it. You know, many of us that grew up in the church learned how to perform those things, but it wasn't an authentic expression of self. And so it's being in love and peace and patience and kindness um, and then bringing that into the relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't mean that we do it perfectly. You know, one of the best gifts of recovery is the gift of the do-over. You know, when I'm working with a couple and they get into a difficult place, we can process, you know, how they wish they had done it differently and what they can own in that. And then we can actually practice having a do-over. And so, you know, part of maturing in recovery is acknowledging that recovery is not going to bring me everything I thought it was going to. Mm. And at some point, we have to live in that truth. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take some time to figure out what recovery can bring me and what recovery can't bring me. So there's going to be grief associated with that and that we continue to be willing to practice and try. We use that word a lot around here is we practice. And when we need to ask for a do-over, we ask for a Mm -hmm. Mm do-over. 
Yeah. I think that uh, characterizes some of these later stages of recovery as well. It's, you're, you're, I like to say recovery is basically you can kind of, you can compartmentalize it into the kind of a discovery piece and then a recovery piece, mm-hmm. right? And so the later stages are, are actually kind of where the recovery starts to meet the road. So you learn tools, you are starting to learn more about yourself, all of that sort of thing. And now, now I'm, I'm implementing, now I'm using the tools. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm, I am showing up present. I am building relationships. I am doing all of these things that I've learned about. And it, and it becomes a paradigm shift from the old me to the new me. Right. Yeah. Um, another thing that I would say, we, we began our last podcast kind of defining recovery as the journey of becoming the person that God created you to be. And so recovery isn't about giving up a behavior or stopping something. Right. It really is about becoming what I would also say is later in recovery, it is less about the behavior that sent us to the journey of recovery. Um, early on, that's what the energy and the focus is on, the addiction and the choices and the pain of that. Later in recovery, there, there can still be triggers around that. It's not that we're completely free. It's not like the, the history and the memory of that is erased. And there's just less energy about that. Mm-hmm. More of it is on this, how can I become more of that person that God created me to be? Um, how would you say a wife experiences that that fear, anxiety around the behavior piece later in recovery? Mm. I think it goes back to what you were talking about, um, like with the fruits of the spirit. And, uh, I, I, you know, this is part of what I said earlier about a wife trusting herself, that a wife can really sense and see and know if it went, when a husband, his heart is changing and transforming over time, because you really, it's not just about a behavior stopping. It really is about this transformation of the heart. And so you don't all of a sudden overnight have this perfect husband, but you do begin to see not, you well, know, you never have a perfect husband. Right? <laughs> just want to qualify. Well, my wife does. She's not most, here. Most don't. She's, There's one. She's There's not one. here to defend herself. Yeah, so. But you do yeah. start to see more often some of those fruits of the spirit. And just Debbie talks about trusting the intent of his heart. And I mm-hmm. think that that really is true. And I think that just begins then over time. It, it is a process. Over time, you can begin to trust that. Like, that is, that is not just behavior. That's not behavior modification. This is true heart change, and he's living out of that place. And so I think that when you begin to see that, it just, it's lessened and lessened that some of those triggers or that fear of, are we going to go back to that same behavior, um, just isn't the concern down the road. I'd also say mm-hmm. that there's a greater trust that, and even if it happens again, I can be safe Mm -hmm. because my value, my identity, my safety come from God, you know, and ultimately we all have these things that we fear. We all have these threats that we're concerned about. And if all we do is focus on that threat and even try to deny the threat, we will stay in this place of not being safe. Mm -hmm. But when I can transcend that and say, and even if that, even if this worst thing happened, I'm now at a place where I can believe that ultimately I will be safe because my safety comes from God. Ultimately, I will be loved because my love comes from God. And ultimately, I will still continue to be this person that God created me to be because my value, my identity come from God. So it's not that you know we, we deny it or ignore it. We even, in fact, acknowledge it. We're just not consumed or defined by it. Mm-hmm. Two minutes ago, Chris gave the perfect segue comment about recovery meeting the road. Right. 
I did not want to let that yeah, slip absolutely. by because our viewers, uh, many of them are here today because of the tease that we gave them last week on that podcast about an incredible story that mm -hmm. you guys have to share where recovery met the road, uh, literally. <laughs> met the windshield. Yeah. Yeah. Met the windshield. Yeah. Um, share that story with us, everyone. Sure. I can summarize. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. But yeah, this was probably about a month ago now for us that we had dropped our three children off at camp. Um, Chris was asleep in the passenger seat. I was driving us home on a pretty busy highway with a lot of cabin traffic coming back towards the Minneapolis area. I was behind a pickup truck, and that pickup truck threw, uh, ran over a muffler that had fallen off of a car and threw the muffler up and through, uh, came right through our windshield, going around 75 miles an hour, came right between um, myself and Chris, right in, the, right in the middle of the van, and mm -hmm. um, pulled over somehow to the side of the road, and, and Chris looked behind and saw a muffler laying there in our vehicle. Yeah, not behind, not behind our van, behind no. her seat. Yes. There, there, Inside the there laid a muffler, yes, yep. So yeah. you have this significant traumatic experience. And so let's just imagine, what do you suppose it would have been like if y'all had had that experience prior to recovery? Hmm. So, yeah, so uh, lots of, I mean, interestingly enough, you know, you, you, Elizabeth mentioned she was driving and I was, I was asleep, you know, and so, uh, which is kind of unusual for us. Usually I'm driving and she's, She's riding along or, I'm, or whatever. I'm asleep. And she's asleep, right? <laughs> she's usually the Should one who gets to sleep, right? And so it, before, right away, you know, it would have been the, the, the blame and the shame, right? So we, uh, so I'm laying there asleep, uh, sitting there asleep, you know, and I hear, the, I, I hear a noise. My eyes are still closed like this sort of, almost like a jet engine sort of noise. It's the wind coming through this hole in our windshield. Before I even open my eyes, I know... We've been in an accident. I have no idea what I'm going to see or what might happen next. Even are we going to hit another hit a vehicle or what's going to happen? And I know that my tendency would have been to immediately have gone to what, what uh, Elizabeth did it again, or she did something wrong, or why wasn't she paying attention, or you know, it, it would have been that finger pointing, and that you know, and I'm I'm kind of ashamed to say that you know, no. but but it's true. Right. And it would have been more about more about me, more about what was going on, you know, my own safety Your and inconvenience. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Oh, now we have a now we have a busted van, you know, those kinds of things. And what's this going to cost us? And you know, all of those sorts of things just in in a nanosecond would have gone right through my mind for sure. I also yeah. want because we often talk about where there's blame, there's shame. Mm. I wonder if there would have been the shame of I should have been driving. You know, if I had been driving, this wouldn't have happened. It's, you know, it's almost, it's my fault because I was choosing to sleep and not drive. It's amazing how that blame-shame dance occurs within us in like a moment's notice. I don't even, I, 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 I can see where you're going with that. I, I don't, I don't even think in my earlier days of recovery or pre-recovery, I was even in a place where I could have had that type of shame. Yeah. I was so selfish, okay. frankly. I, I really would. I really think it would have been more about the inconvenience and more about. Um, I, I think that I would have thought those things, but more around the the more around the idea of my core belief, like if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. Or mm -hmm. it, the only way we would have made it home safely is if I would have been driving. Mm -hmm. Like it would have been up to me. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but that, there's no question, though, Greg, that there's some there's some level of shame that's mixed in there as right. well, for sure. Um, would you have had? This is kind of a vulnerable question. Would you sure. have had some kind of uncontrolled anger um, with that blame? Would you have, prior to recovery was kind of did you have a temper? Could there be angry? Could you have exploded yes. over this? Yeah, I appreciate the question, and I'm more than willing to answer the question. And I think that was more. It, it would have been so much more reactionary in that way. Mm-hmm. So I think I think what we saw in the in the in the accident is I responded, if you will, mm-hmm. versus reacted. And so I, historically, yeah, it it could very well. Who knows what it would have been for sure? But it very well could have been this ra- this rage, this reactionary. And we're, really, what would have been under that is I would have been scared mm-hmm. and fearful sure. and all of right. that. But what the way that manifests is this rage that I project onto Elizabeth, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is completely unfair mm-hmm. right. and immature. Right. And just separates us. You're right. The and chasm just grows. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so much for being on the same team. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, immediately we're separated in that, in that instance. So. And my old tendency would for sure have been to go to shame, to hang my head, to beat myself up, to, you know, ruminate over all the things that I could have done differently and really triggering one of my core beliefs of, um, I can't trust myself. I'm not capable of doing these types of things. And so I think that really would have for sure shown up. And then it just gets, um, just escalated when Chris starts to unleash on me. It's like, yep, just continues to cement those core beliefs as being true. And that was yeah, a very, yeah. very common dance that we would do. Yeah. Yeah. Share what did happen, because it's quite the opposite. It was quite the opposite. So and this is what recovery can look like yes. in later years. Right, yeah. right. Yes, I mean, you know, I think one of the, I mean, there's so many things that stood out to me, but one of the, one of the things that stood out to me was the way that, the way that I responded to myself, there was there was a gentleness with myself. There was a compassion. I did not go to shame. I was really able to say, okay, like, just, just be kind to myself in terms of what could I control, what couldn't I have controlled in that situation. On top of that, the way that Chris responded to me was probably one of the most um, impactful things. I mean, just the lack of, not that you didn't care for yourself at all, but really this lack of selfishness, this lack of caring for me, wondering, you know, maybe you're in shock and do you have glass sticking out of you somewhere, like coming over and scanning and making sure that I was okay. And just this, uh, this pouring out of himself to make sure that I was okay. Um, very, very different and very awesome. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a, it was that, that part of it was a, was a pleasure, you know, but it was, it was more of a, I, I like to say it was intentional, but it really, it was actually more of a default response. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's how we know our recovery yeah. is working. Sure, exactly. Your exactly. It, it's just now a part of who we are. Yes. I don't have to choose it. I just express it. So, so midstream, you know, year two, three, four, if you will, right. Then you're, you're, you are having to sort of override 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 the old way of doing things right and then i mean lo and behold you know here we were eight years into recovery and we had this accident and um i'm just i'm just grateful that my default response was was what we experienced in the in the vehicle yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well not that not not that's the perfect response but it it was drastically different than the Chris that would have shown up before. And what's also true is you still had to deal with the consequences. You know, you still had a you bet. windshield that was missing. Fixed. You still had to figure out how to do that. It was still inconvenient. But what shifts is how do we respond? What do we need to do? We are now on the same team. 
you know, you mentioned that anger would have created that separation and then, you know, there'd be this chasm. But in that response, as y'all were to be able, you were able to be together, then it becomes, how do we respond to this? Which is completely different energy. I'm not alone. You know, that's a huge message that I think that couples experience later in recovery is, I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really facing it together as a team. Yeah, and I'm confident that if, you know, if Elizabeth would have been alone, in that accident, she would have done great, you know, a great mm-hmm. job on her own, or, you know, and I, I would have as well. Mm-hmm. But for, I think it's a, a blessing that we were together in that experience. And we, it really was just a great illustration of what, what recovery can look like down the road. I tell guys often, this, this in fact, just recently in group, uh, one of the men, you know, was, was kind of talking about how things continue to happen, adversity. They continue to, they continue to face adversity. And I'm not sure it was my most empathetic moment <laughs> ever, but, you know, my comment was, that's life. Mm-hmm. You're going to continue to face adversity. The question is, how do you show up? How do you respond? Mm-hmm. Are you showing up and responding from that wise chair or the old kind of that old survivor man? Is he showing up? You know, and so it get used to it because that, that's life. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we don't have we have some we have some choices we can make about how we show up. Mm. You know, one final thing I would say that I, I hear in this response was that both of you had access to the truth. You know, yeah. early in recovery and prior to recovery, we are consumed by the lies, the lies about ourselves, the lies about God, the lies about others. But as we do recovery, we have access to the truth. So for you, Elizabeth, you knew immediately you hadn't done anything wrong, mm-hmm. that this was just something that had happened. You didn't go into shame or blame. And, you know, you were able to go, um, Chris, into compassion and be able to be present with her because you had access to the truth of who you are who you are as a couple and who God is. That, I think, is the gift of that long-term recovery that we are grounded in the truth. Mm -hmm. And that truth, even painful truth, even difficult truth, still sets us free. So thanks for sharing. And we are very glad that you are saved. Yes, we are grateful that you guys are saved. Thank you. We'd like to thank all of you out there for watching and listening to today's podcast of the Faithful and True Podcast. We hope that Chris and Elizabeth's story and experience and sharing that they've done today has been beneficial to you. We, uh, we hope that you can join us again soon. We have a whole library of podcasts that you can view and or listen to uh, at faithfulandtrue.com. And we hope that you'll take the time to do that. If you haven't uh, gone to the Faithful and True YouTube channel yet, we invite you to do so. Please subscribe. Please like the, the podcasts after you watch them. We appreciate that greatly. And until we join you again, we ask that uh, this week for you, take the time to find the blessings mm-hmm. in every day. And may your week be filled with many blessings and great vision.